let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, we talk a lot about the rising crime in the city, and rightly so, but there's another rising crisis that's getting a lot less attention, deaths from fentanyl. Just recently, DC police helped bust a fentanyl distribution ring with global impact, and the two-year investigation all started after a young mother here in D.C. died of an overdose. NBC4's Mark Seagraves is here to explain why fentanyl is becoming a more serious problem and how it affects you, even if you don't use the drug. Today's Wednesday, December 6th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what D.C. is talking about. We've been hearing about the fentanyl crisis as an ongoing thing in D.C. for a while now, but I do feel like conversations around it have been sort of overshadowed by another problem that D.C. is facing, and that is crime. How bad is the opioid crisis compared to some of the other issues that we know D.C. is struggling with right now? Yeah, Bridget, thanks for having me back. You know, if you just compare homicides to fentanyl overdoses, it's a much bigger problem. As we're recording this Right now, there have been 250 homicides so far this year in Washington, D.C. Compare that to the number of fatal overdoses so far at 296. And that 296 overdoses, while it's still far higher than the number of homicides, that number is only as of July 31st. Because of autopsies and coroner reports, there's a lag time in making this determination. So fatal overdoses, 98% of which are traced back to fentanyl, are outpacing homicides by a wide margin. Wow. And I understand there was just a big drug bust related to this, right? Yeah. You know, there was a big federal sting operation that brought together the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, the FBI, the DEA, D.C. police, the postal inspectors. I mean, every agency that you could think of was involved in this. And it was a two-year investigation that started right here in D.C. with a young woman's overdose And now, two years later, has led to a syndicate of fentanyl dealers stretching from California to D.C., more than two dozen arrests so far. So this drug bust that started in D.C. has these far-reaching national implications. International implications. According to the federal prosecutors, they say that the fentanyl that is on the street here in D.C., most of it is coming from California. California is the distribution point. They get it from Mexico. Mexico gets the original fentanyl from China. So the fentanyl goes from China to Mexico, where it's placed into these pills that look like oxycodone or some other type of drug that more commonly used. That happens in Mexico. The dealers in in California buy it, ship it out. They gave a price for that. They said the initial pill for the distributor in Mexico costs 30 cents a piece to make. It goes to the dealer in California at 
sells it at $3 a pill. The end user here in D.C. pays up to $30 a pill. So there is an enormous profit margin on this drug uh, that stretches back from China to Mexico to California to D.C. So this young woman in D.C., um, her death triggered this far-reaching bust with international implications. What happened to her? So Diamond Lynch was 20 years old in 2021. She had just celebrated uh, her son's first birthday, Mm. and she took what she thought was an oxycodone pill. She had been struggling with addiction to painkillers and had had a relapse and took one pill, and she overdosed. And that pill turned out to have fentanyl in it. The police here in D.C. were able to track the sale of that fentanyl through her phone to a brother and sister here in D.C. They were arrested rather quickly, and they were convicted. And they were the first people in Washington, D.C., who were convicted under the law that they were responsible for her death. So it went beyond just charging them with distribution of drugs. They were charged and convicted and sentenced for being responsible for her death. It's it's not a murder charge, but it is the first time in D.C., anyone had been charged in in that manner. Well, that investigation then went far-reaching with federal authorities because of Instagram and social media, where all of these drug deals played out, and they were able to trace it back to the original suppliers. And two years later, you've seen a major bust where they recovered tens of thousands of dollars, a million pills, you know, one pill can kill. So that, you know, that had the, the lethal potential of killing up to a million people. Thousands of people could have died from overdoses over these drugs. Machine guns, uh, other other weapons were recovered through this. And so, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a big bust that all started right here in D.C. with the death of a 20-year-old woman, Diamond Lynch. You mentioned that the people that she bought what she thought was Oxy from, they were held responsible legally for her death, even though it wasn't murder. And that was the first time that this happened in D.C. Do you think that signals a shift in how D.C. is thinking about fentanyl deaths and thinking about how to respond to them? Like, that seems like a real real change to me, no? Absolutely. And I think just this whole sting operation, too. You know, the, the DEA has a whole program where they go out now and try to, in their words, get justice for these victims of fentanyl overdoses. And so you're going to be seeing a lot more of this. This was a big operation with multi, you know, agencies, federal agencies, local agencies, uh, making 25 arrests so far uh, because of this. But, you know, fentanyl still continues to be the, according to the DEA, the biggest killer of people between 18 and 45 years old in the United States. The, the head of the DEA, when they had this press conference, said it was the worst drug epidemic the nation has ever seen. And so that's how big a problem it is. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow! There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G. 
slash spring soiree. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And something I just want to circle back to is that Diamond was not trying to seek out fentanyl. She thought she was taking something else and it killed her. So does that mean that people in D.C. who might be trying to buy a completely different drug might be at risk of an overdose? It's not a maybe. It's a definitely. That's what's happening. People are, for the most part, not going out trying to find fentanyl. They're trying to find oxy, as you as you pointed out. And then what the DEA pointed out was even their drug enforcement agents can't look at an oxy pill that's stamped with, I believe, M30 on it and tell it apart from a legitimate pill. And they're that well counterfeited. And so you can't tell by the naked eye. The district government provides free fentanyl test strips that you can get to protect yourself just in, for, for this case. And they also give out free naloxone, which is the antidote to an overdose, which, you know, none of us have an excuse not to have that in our home or in our car because you never know where you're going to be that somebody and it's harmless. You can do no harm by administering uh, naloxone to, to somebody who you believe is having an overdose. So both of these things are available in DC free of charge, no questions asked to anybody who might need them. But you know, it, it is impossible from the naked eye to tell the real from the fake that would be laced with fentanyl. And that's why authorities say, you know, legally can't buy oxy through the mail or through the internet. And so if you're, if you're doing that, you're getting something that's counterfeit and you should not be doing it. And all of these transactions played out on social media, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook marketplace. That's how Diamond got her drugs in the first place. And that's how federal authorities were able to trace all of the people who they ended up arresting because there was this social media footprint that they had left behind uh, at times boasting of of their drugs, their, the quality of their drugs, how much money they have, photos of themselves with guns. Um, you know, social media played a huge, huge, is playing a huge role in this fentanyl epidemic. So we did an episode about how social media is impacting the rise of property crime across D.C. and youth violence. But yeah, I think the role of social media really is something that needs to be talked about, honestly. I can't remember what law enforcement person it was, but he, he described it as like, Uber for drugs, like that's how easy it is to get drugs on some of these social media platforms like Snapchat or TikTok. It's it's not difficult. And I understand that a few parents have actually, I believe, sued Snapchat when their children have died using these drugs. And so I guess I wonder, do, do you have any sense of how you might expect that to play out, the role that social media is playing in keeping these drugs easy to get? Yeah. So, you know, the head of the DEA said at this press conference, just about everybody has a cell phone. Uh, which means just about everybody has a drug dealer in their pocket because all you need is any of these social media apps and you can find yourself a drug dealer right away. 
They also pointed out that Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, was announcing that they were taking steps to do whatever internal algorithm thing that they do to try to make it more difficult or to, to spot these posts and take them down in a more timely fashion. When I reached out to Meta for my reporting for a comment, uh, a spokesperson got back to me with some questions clarifying what I needed, but then never got back to me with an actual comment or, or a statement. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> this does not surprise me at all, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd be shocked if we didn't see Congress holding hearings on this at some point, and then local jurisdictions tightening up their laws. As you pointed out, you know, here in D.C., you know, now making the decision to prosecute some of these drug dealers as being responsible for people's deaths, that should send a chilling message uh, to people who are thinking about or are engaged in this kind of activity. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the things people can have on them and get for free that will help sort of reduce the harm of the impacts of, of fentanyl. I keep those things on me because I sometimes find myself in spaces where people are partying. And if you're somebody who goes to bars, nightclubs, even if you're not you know, engaging in that kind of behavior, it's not difficult to believe that somebody around you might be. I guess I'll put it that way. And I guess I wonder, are there drugs in D.C. that people might associate with like party drugs, cocaine, for instance, that they're not expecting dying from fentanyl to be something that that might happen to them because they're thinking like, oh, well, I know what I'm taking. I take this all the time. Should people really be wary about what they're consuming in D.C. right now? I think, you know, as a child of the 60s, this was a lesson that we were taught a long, long time ago, you know, and any of your listeners who are my age will remember from Woodstock, the album, The Warning, be careful of the brown acid, right? I mean, it has been buyer beware forever when you're taking drugs um, that you buy on the street. And now more than ever, because fentanyl is so cheap and so prevalent. And as you said, finding its way into all kinds of drugs where we wouldn't expect to find them. And that's what's killing really innocent people uh, by the thousands in our, in our country right now. So what are some of the demographics of the folks who are most impacted by this in D.C.? Well, again, for fatal overdoses, African-Americans at a far higher rate than anybody else. And then nationwide, fentanyl, according again to the DEA, the number one killer of people between 18 and 45 years old. So these are young people, primarily African-Americans, who are also, unfortunately, falling into the same category of victims of gun violence and crime uh, and find themselves on both sides of those equations too often. It's a challenged generation that uh, is facing, you know, incredible obstacles that uh, my generation, you know, never dreamt of. And so, uh, you know, I have two kids in their 20s and, you know, I had had this kind of conversation with them for a long time about, you know, being careful of of what they do and, and where they do it, particularly here in D.C., yeah, I, I mean, I'll just go on and say it. Don't use anything. But if you are, don't use anything that you haven't tested that you can't vouch for, especially right now. It just it's not worth it to think like, oh, this is just going to be a, a, a wild night out and you might not make it home. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a very real issue. Yeah, especially when we're in a city like Washington, as progressive as it is. Look, and I know D.C. doesn't do everything right. Look, you just look at the crime numbers. But on this you know, D.C. is really kind of ahead of the curve. They just set up 
a center in uh, Northeast DC off North Capitol Street for where paramedics, rather than taking people who are, you know, not fatally overdosing, but either overdosing or having problems with drugs or alcohol, rather than taking them to the emergency room and putting pressure on our hospital, there is another destination for them that a different option for people to take. And you can walk in, you can take somebody there. They're going to open more of these centers across the city. They give out the fentanyl strips. The, the, the district's Department of Behavioral Sciences gives out uh, these fentanyl test strips. There are kiosks that you can go to, like vending machines outside of firehouses that, you know, it looks like it used to sell Snickers and potato chips and stuff. And now you can get naloxone, you can get the, the fentanyl strips, you, you can get, you know, all the kinds of things you need for public health. And we're fortunate in D.C., to have those kinds of resources and people should be taking advantage of them. Do you see these efforts as being effective? Like, are these numbers improving at all? The numbers are not getting any better. It's as serious a situation as the homicide rate that, as you pointed out at the top of this interview, doesn't get nearly the attention that the homicide rate has on it. And quite honestly, they're both equally as random when it comes to choosing their victims. Mm. Do you have any sense of what the city is planning to do next? You know, again, I told you they're going to expand those, you know, they're going to put more of those centers out uh, where people can go for help if they feel like, you know, they need, they, they, they either want help, you know, getting into some kind of a 12-step program. That's another thing that they'll do for you at these centers. You can just walk in. You don't have to be in crisis. You don't have to be dying at, at the time. You can just walk in and say, you know, I have an addiction problem. I have a, a substance abuse problem, you know, an alcohol problem. Can you connect me with services with somebody who can get me help? And they don't ask you about your immigration status. They don't ask you about your insurance status. Again, you know, one of the benefits of being in a progressive city like Washington, D.C., they're not going to ask you these questions that might otherwise deter you or deter someone from seeking help. And so I you know, can only imagine that D.C. is going to, as budgetary pressures will allow, increase the spending on these kinds of things. That's what we're already seeing with the opening of these centers uh, and putting more of a focus on it. You're certainly seeing that with law enforcement. Mark, thanks so much for covering this and explaining it to us today. Bridget, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to join you guys. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Bye.